Morning. If it doesn't offend anybody, I have a bottle of water up here with me. I, the more I talk, the drier my mouth tends to get. About uh, six years ago, I was preaching at a congregation in uh, Bloomington, Indiana. And um, I had jokingly uh, said to the, the regular preacher there that the little Dixie cups of water they had in the bathroom, I, I would need like six of them. Well, this preacher had a wonderful sense of humor. And uh, I show up that Sunday morning to do the sermon. There was a coffee mug about this tall, about that big around. It was bright purple and was full of water sitting here waiting for me. I want to ask a question. And while I'm 80% sure everybody in the room is going to have the same answer, I still want to ask the question because it's a critical thing we need to understand. So, I'm going to ask the question. I don't want anybody to say anything out loud. I don't want you to say anything to the person next to you. I don't want you, I want you to just up here. Just answer for yourself. Do you, individually at this moment, and as you go through your daily life, believe God is talking to you? Do you believe God is talking to you? Every day. As you do your thing, and you go to work, and you drive, and you see your family. There seems to be this misconception in the world, and honestly, it's among the more conservative groups, that God doesn't talk to us anymore. Let me tell you why people say that. I've heard it amongst brethren. I've heard it in the world. It's because people expect a certain number of things that say God is talking to me. We expect to be token, spoken to like a burning shrub in the wilderness that has a voice coming out of it. We expect to be approached during a dream or to have the booming voice of the heavens come down. We have this expectation around us that that's, that's how God's going to talk to us. And Well, he's not doing that to me. I don't know the last time that happened to you. Our Bible class this morning, I was kind of joking with Kevin, he uh, covered a lot of my notes in speaking with how we are spoken to by God, but I want to kind of address it and expound upon it a little bit. And here is how I know that there are people who believe this. Aside from the fact I have actually heard people say that no, God does not speak to us today, people believe this because and you may have heard this exact phrase. You may have even said it yourself. The Bible was written by man, and it's been around for thousands of years, and how do we know it hasn't been changed today? How do we know it is still consistent? People who say that don't believe the power of God to continue a message and continue giving it to us today. That's what that is. That is the core of that statement. You do not believe God still speaks. And that is a very, very common belief in this world. And that's one of the things that, and I hold up my iPad because my Bible is on here. Normally I would hold up my Bible. But the Bible, as it exists today, people are convinced that can't be gospel. 
Because how many translations is it in? I can literally, and I, I've never counted, but I have list after list. If I go through on here, the nice thing about having it on my iPad, I have my Bible in at least, if I had to guess, somewhere between 25 and 30 different translations, different languages. Every major language in the known world, I have it all right here. Including other versions of the Bible that other people have completed are all part of this program that's on my iPad. So because of this, and because this exists, doubt is created. So here's something to ponder. And this applies to whether you yourself are one of these people that think this, or you know somebody who does. Here's the question. I don't know if any of you have spent any time around anybody who is deaf or hard of hearing. Okay? My first, uh, actually my first real job, when I turned 18, I worked uh, for FedEx. And I was sorting packages. And FedEx is the largest employer of hearing impaired individuals. Because pretty much through the entire FedEx facility, you have to wear earplugs anyway. You can't hear anything anyway. It's the perfect environment for somebody that has a hearing impairment and can have a job. And it's a great company to work for. I was very happy to be there. But I was surrounded by people who were hearing impaired. And it didn't matter where you worked in the facility. My facility had 4,000 employees on the night shift in Indianapolis. 1,500 of them were hearing impaired. You were surrounded by them. And when they wanted to communicate with you, if you didn't know sign language, and there wasn't an interpreter right there, when they wanted to communicate with you, they wrote it down or they sent you a text message. So by the same definition that the Bible, because it was written by man, can't be a message from God, is by saying, because that message was written on a piece of paper with a pen, it didn't come from that person when they wrote it to give it to me. That's how they communicated. That's the only way that they could. Fun fact, deaf people at the School of the Deaf are actually taught how to speak. I'm not 100% sure of the process, but they are. And a lot of them, especially the younger ones now, are capable of actually carrying on a conversation as long as they can read your lips. It's still a whole lot easier for them to write it down or to send you a text message. When I first wrote this sermon years ago, you know, the internet was still around. But let's, let's, let's go back. Let's rewind the clock. 25 years. The internet doesn't exist. People don't have, it still wasn't a popular thing for people to have a computer in your home because it was a dot matrix computer that didn't do a whole lot. I remember I had one as a little kid. I remember thinking it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, before the internet was a thing, before we sent emails, before we had cell phones that could do text messages, let's go back. What did we do? We wrote a letter to people. And having worked at FedEx, I can tell you, whenever you send a package or a letter or something to somebody, it passes through a lot of hands before it gets to you. At the FedEx facility in Indianapolis, a package goes on 13 miles of conveyor belt before it goes from one plane to the next. Through this gigantic facility, 13 total miles of conveyor belt before it goes from A to B. And that's just one place that package stops. And there's 4,000 people in this facility on the night shift, and a third of them are going to handle your package. It's going to pass through a lot of hands before it ever gets to you. But let's go even more local than that. Let's do it right here in town. If I wanted to send a letter to Kevin, who lives here in town, I would write a letter, I would stick it in the mail, it would go to the post office, it would be sorted by somebody, and then it would be carried by the mailman to Kevin. It would be placed in his box, and he would wait for him to get it. That's how letters worked. That's how letters, that's how debt collectors still choose to get a hold of me. 
So, if we can use these indirect means to communicate to one another, why can't God use an indirect means to communicate with us? That's essentially what we're talking about here. It's having faith that the message that we received, A, comes from him, and B, accepting that it's an indirect message. It's not him coming down out of the heavens with a booming voice or having a mule talk to me or take your pick of any of the miraculous ways he chose to speak to somebody. But it's not necessarily that. So let's look at this a couple ways God chooses to speak to us. The obvious, the one that every Christian would, in this room, would agree with and I think acknowledge. And I think when I ask the question, do you believe God is speaking to you, I think it's the one everybody went to, the Bible. We touched on the scripture in class, 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to turn over there. This is a very important verse. We're going to start in verse 12. Second Timothy 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Communication point number one. You learned it from somebody. It was taught. Continuing on. And from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Remember who he's writing it to. A lot of these were Jews. They would have grown up knowing the old law. Again, communication point number two, the old law, the writings existed. Knowing from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. In this verse, he has acknowledged they were taught, so somebody took information and gave it to them. Man gave him information from God and relayed it, taught Sacred scriptures, writings that they had of the word of God, of the Old Testament, the Torah, as the Jews call it today, they wouldn't have known. So we have writings penned by man and relayed. He validates that as useful teaching. And third, acknowledgement that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture, God-breathed, meaning what he's writing now and the teaching to come from the men who will write letters after this. Let's rewind just a moment. We talked about writing letters. I write Kevin a letter, even though we live about four miles from each other, give or take. I send him a letter. That single letter, that envelope, is going to pass through a lot of hands before it gets to him. Now, the mailman doesn't have an agenda to change the mail, change the package before it reaches Kevin. And how do we know that? Let's use uh, 
I'll use my car payment as an example. I have a car payment on my car. I've been making car payments on my car for two years now. I have another four and a half years to go. Yay me. But I have this car payment, okay? And if I look at my statements from the moment I got the car to what they are today, my payment has not changed. And I know that somebody at the dealership isn't changing it, and I know that the mailman isn't changing it because there is consistency. It is the same letter given to me today that was given to me a year ago that says, you owe this much on your car. This is what your monthly payment is. That has not changed. The evidence is there. The mailman has no agenda to change a message relayed from one to the other, but for some reason, we like to go through life convinced, and I say the proverbial we, meaning it could be anybody in this room that holds this view, or anybody in the world, we live this life convinced that the, the apostles and the men who were called to be holy by God had some agenda to change the scripture. I believe that letter received to me is the same letter that was sent because the evidence is there. It is unopened. It is unchanged. I can verify it. But yet we want to believe that the apostles and that the holy men of God, whose scriptures today line up with ancient texts that have been found that are 2,000 years old, we want to believe that suddenly, oh, well, they had an agenda and that it could have changed. And my friends, to believe that that could have changed and that the scripture could have changed is to deny the power of God. And I don't want to be on that side of the battle. I apologize, this is a topic I'm a little passionate about. And if you truly believe that the information being delivered to your mailbox that contains your bills and all of that is, is not legitimate, then you shouldn't open any of your mail. Let me know how that goes for you. Maybe, just maybe, a Bible, a book, a series of books, writing that has survived generations, maybe a book that has unchanged over thousands of years and shaped the world. Name one book that has had more impact on the world than this. Can't. Doesn't exist. Maybe, just maybe, those men didn't have some self-serving agenda to change it to suit their own needs. Just maybe. Next, God uses other people. Whether it's Kevin or myself or you, God's known for using people we might not necessarily expect. Mary Magdalene, for example. Mary Magdalene, by trade, was a prostitute. And when we go back into the scripture, we see that she made decisions that benefited Christians and helped holy men. God uses what's around us. It's convenient. It works. And right now, this room is full of people that have decided to dedicate their lives to him. There's a whole room of people in here he could choose to use. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 28. If we're going to believe that the Bible is unchanged, if we're going to believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and if we're going to agree that the Bible, though written by man, is unchanged, then Matthew 28 makes lots of sense. Right at the very end, we often call it the Great Commission. 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, starting. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Eleven men were there. And as we read through the letters of the missionary journeys the men went on, Paul and Peter primarily are the ones that we have the most account of. Who else do they talk about? They talk about Timothy, a faithful preacher. They talk about Apollos. They talk about other men working in these other groups when we read their letters. Eleven men heard the word of God, took it, preached it, and other people are being used to continue that work because eleven men can't be in every place at once. It makes sense. That's how it grew. That's how this shaped the world. Third way, God uses our circumstances. And that's probably the most painful way. Experience is the best teacher. Experience can also be the most painful teacher. And so many times... When things go great, it's so easy for us to say, praise God for having this happen. And then when things go horrible, nobody ever seems to think, gee, this could be the devil. Or maybe this is just how it was meant to be played out. No, they want to curse God instead. For some reason, we're awful quick to praise God when it's great and then curse him as well. It still doesn't make sense to me. And sometimes that's the only way we can learn finding out that rock bottom actually has a basement. Heard somebody use that once and I really liked it. Go over to James chapter 1. Starting verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you ask, lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. It's an old joke that I heard, but I think it's a great example of that. Man prayed for patience, God gave him a wife. doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be Solomon who prayed for wisdom and God said, I will make you the wisest man on the planet and even the wisest man to ever exist still made plenty of mistakes. Sometimes it's putting a circumstance into your life. I am certainly a much more patient person now having a wife and two daughters than I was seven, eight years ago. My wife looks at me with these eyes like, really? And it's like, yes, trust me. I was worse. I promise age, experience, the things put into our lives, the jobs that we take, the jobs that we lose, the jobs that we pick up. Kevin, I'm going to use you as an example because you're my friend and you're right there. Fifteen years ago, did you think you would be standing up proclaiming the gospel for a living? No. No. 
How many people earlier on in life that are regular members of this congregation decided that down the road they would move to this area and be a part of this congregation and they'd be working here? I didn't. I didn't know this congregation was here when I moved to Bradenton. I just knew there were a few in the area. I had no idea. No. And yet we expect God to talk to us and move us around like chess pieces. I'm very grateful he doesn't. That would be a very boring life. And there would be no room for personal growth. There would be no room for maturity because I would be relying on God to say, okay, God, move me. And I want to be clear because it just occurred to me that it could be construed this way and I don't want it to be. In no way am I implying God is not capable. I want to be clear, God has all power. At no point do I want anybody to think I am saying God is not capable. My three-year-old is learning to ride her bike. Even with training wheels, if she takes too hard of a turn, it goes down. I let her. And she has learned that when she falls down, I have taught her to stand up, shake it off, and get back on her bike. She doesn't cry. She doesn't whine. If she's hurt, she shakes it off. She pushes through it. Tough love. She's learning to ride a bike. She's three. Happy with the results, and she's turning out okay. I could just as easily hold on to the back of the bike everywhere that we went. She will never learn how to not take that turn so sharp. She will never learn how to dust it off and move on. Kid stuff or nyan. The last way I want to talk about, I realize we're running out of time. This is the, I think, in my opinion, the less acknowledged way that God speaks to us. Call it the still small voice. It's less direct in some ways. We don't expect it. Sometimes we don't even realize that it's influencing our actions. The still small voice. Some people have called this the voice of peace, the voice of comfort. Some people joke because it means you're hearing voices in your head. Have you ever been just drawn to do something that you knew was right? Or done something wrong and had something tell you that this isn't the right thing to do? It's the part of God talking to us that has trained us and trained us in what's right and wrong. It's an extension of his voice, if I can use that term. I'll give you an example. There's a um, public speaker, his name is Les Brown. And years ago, and, and this video has recently gone viral if you follow social media, but Les Brown was a, a very passionate individual when he did his public speaking. I really admire him for it. He talked about in the Far East, they have what's called the Chinese bamboo tree. Forgive me if you've heard this. The Chinese bamboo tree takes five years to grow. And every single day, somebody has to go out and water and fertilize the ground where that is. They cannot miss a day. 
but that Chinese bamboo tree does not break through the ground until the fifth year. For four years, there are no results. There are no shoots that come above the ground. The only person who will know what is there is you. But once it breaks through the ground in that fifth year, within five weeks, it is 90 feet tall. It's the fastest growing plant in the world. It'll grow three feet in 24 hours. Now, did that Chinese bamboo tree grow 90 feet in five weeks or five years? Answer's easy. Five years. Because if at any moment the person watering and fertilizing that ground had stopped, that tree never would have come through. And people probably mocked that guy. Think about Noah. Stood alone in society for 120 years building a boat. And everybody looking at him, hey, Noah, building a boat. Why? And we learn that Noah, the Bible calls him a preacher of the gospel. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 calls Noah a man who walked with God and was righteous. So Noah's trying to teach everybody around him, hey, by the way, it's going to flood. And everybody's going, What's a flood? We don't even know if they knew what a boat was. God had to describe to him how to build an ark. So what keeps you going when you don't see results? What keeps your faith going when you don't see the change in your life? What keeps you coming to church when you're beat down and you're tired and you feel completely alone? My friends, that is the still small voice inside of you, pushing you, egging you on, that is the voice of God. Because something has to do it. And it's greater than you, it's greater than me. Because it hits us without us knowing. And it gets you up in the morning. So the real problem I see It's easy for us to sit here and say, yeah, God speaks to us. All scriptures God breathed. God spoke the world into creation, and he hasn't stopped talking since. The problem is, we don't stop talking long enough to listen. We don't be quiet long enough to hear the voice. Or we override that still, small voice with the things we really want to do, no matter what we actually know is true. Sometimes that still small voice is when you're sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning and you realize you haven't made a commitment to God and week after week after week you keep coming back looking for the answers and then on that day when the preacher or another person says something to you that pricks you just right, just stabs you in the heart, it's that still small voice that tells you, I got to change. I prefer to think of it as the voice of God smacking you in the back of the head and bringing you to reality. When God talks, we have got to be quiet and listen. So what does he tell us? He tells us of his son. 
He tells us of salvation. He tells us how to worship Him. He tells us how we're to be Christians in the outside world. My friends, that is 80% of the New Testament. Very little of the New Testament teaching is what we do here. It is almost all how we are out there. He very clearly describes sin. And if you have any doubt, Revelation 21.8. Very detailed list of the people who will be judged negatively. He offers forgiveness. He offers love. He uses a lot of things to talk to us. Hearing from God isn't so much a matter of if he's talking, but are you listening? He offered us salvation, and the scripture says it, Acts 2.38, Believe and be baptized, and you shall be saved, Mark 16.16. 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Salvation is offered. And right now, there's not a one of us in the room that can't say that we weren't told the plan of salvation or what God is trying to say to us. You just refuse to acknowledge his voice. And it's with love that I say that to every person in the room, including myself. I'm certainly not exempt from ignoring the voice of God a few times. Find love. Find peace. And listen. And if you need somebody to listen to you, we're here. If there's anything we can do as a congregation, if you need to be baptized, no better time than now. We've mentioned a lot of, and this is going to be a little personal, give me a sec. We've mentioned in the past several weeks several people that we have known locally and abroad that have passed away. Just last Monday, a young man that I know, 18 years old, heart attack in his sleep. 18. I'm 30. I'm considered to be in relative good health. I get checked out by a doctor yearly. He was in better shape than I am. There is a plan for you. There is an end for all of us. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but my friends, it's reality. Listen to God. If there's anything we can do to help, now is the time while we stand and sing.